0: Welcome, everybody, to the Wild Wild West. Um, Wow, so many things have happened to me. I have made $15 million this week off of selling teddy bears with bombs in them to militant groups in many countries. I mean, we are talking parts of Africa. We are talking northern europe we are talking eastern europe remote parts of canada um and i'm really interested in grassroots movements i really like what a lot of them are doing i don't really agree with what they're fighting for i'm not even really sure if i agree with their use of the bombs that i make um but at the end of the day if your passion is selling Making and selling bombs, you need to be okay with the fact that you're most likely going to have to sell to terrorists, that most of your clientele is going to be terrorist groups that are committing acts of violence, um, you know, for the purpose of, um, you know, uh, attracting attention and trying to get their cause heard. Um, do I approve of 9 11? No, definitely not. Do I approve of the Oklahoma City bombing? No. Uh, Do I approve of even Columbine? No. Um, Do I approve of Sandy Hook? No. Do I approve of Pearl Harbor? No. Um, But does a guy that makes bombs have to make money? A hundred percent. And a lot of people don't understand what I mean when I say that although... I make bombs and sell them to militant groups in several countries that I still am a diehard liberal and that I believe in social welfare. I believe in peace. Um, You know, I vote blue no matter who. You know, no matter if I put pounds of C4 into teddy bears and ship them across the world to be used in domestic terrorist attacks against whatever group of people those people choose to domestic attack. And I get a lot of shit. I get a lot of fucking shit because I made a YouTube channel where I talk about filling teddy bears with pounds of C4. And I don't... I mean, you get to a point where it's like... You get old enough where you're like, people are gonna talk shit, like, you can't stop people from talking shit, and you just gotta let them talk, and you gotta do your thing, because when I started making bombs, you know, I wasn't, I was afraid to, like, be myself, you know what I mean, I was afraid to be myself, because of how I would be judged, you know, because, like, I don't know, the problem with bomb making is that it's, like, this industry that's, like, full of people that really don't understand the future of bomb making and where their industry is going. It's all these old heads, you know? And so I was afraid to be myself when I first started, you know what I mean? I wouldn't put them in teddy bears, you know, I'd wrap them up in soup cans or whatever, like the geezers did. But I mean, now it's like, I have opened a hugely profitable Etsy shop, uh, as well as selling items on Facebook Marketplace, uh, Craigslist, and, you know, some areas of the dark web. But none of these guys even thought of doing that. When I started to do it, they, they laughed at me and said I was part of this dumb new school. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm proud of the bombs I make. I'm proud of their efficacy. Um, do I support what happens when those bombs go off? Not a lot of the time. Um, but they're good bombs, and I make good bombs, and they're made in America by hand. And, you know, bombs haven't been made in America since, like, you know, Ted Kaczynski. And there's, like, been this uh, spirit of America, this independent, you know, revolutionary spirit embodied, you know, by Ted Kaczynski, Christopher Dorner, patriots like that, that's really been lost um, in the American psyche. And I'm trying to remind people that you can make bombs. You can make bombs and you can, you can sell them to terrorist groups. Or, you know, even young kids. Sometimes I've sold a bomb out of my car to two young men. Probably no older than 15 years old. But was that a mistake? Was that something wrong to do? Or was it something I had to do to put food on my table? as an artist and you know i've i've said from the very beginning you know i'm i'm an artist but i also believe in um capitalism i believe in um military industrial complexes as well as militant guerrilla groups i believe in combat as a means of dealing with things am i setting off my bombs in public places with the express intent of killing innocent civilians no Am I fighting anybody who looks at my fucking wife when we walk into a Red Robin? You can bet your fucking ass I am. But I don't know. At the end of the day, it's like I say all that just to say that people are always going to have something to say. They're always going to have some shit to talk about. So you might as well just keep doing your thing and give them more shit to talk about because, you know, you have something to say. I have something to say. With my bombs that I sell to primarily domestic terrorist groups across the world. I went to a uh, Charlie Crockett concert. He's a country artist. He's a new country artist. Went to a concert at the Fonda Theater. He is. Uh, he's great. He's a. He's like he, He's a little retro. He wears like the old kind of style suits. Plays guitar up real high. And I'll I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of ladies' bootcut jeans with dripping crotches in there. I'll tell you that much, okay? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, some of those Lucchazes were just full of puddles, puddles of wetness, you know what I mean? Those boots were soaked. My girlfriend uh, reminded me several times how how hot he was, which um, I agreed with, which was her right, which was her right. I was just—I was watching her take videos of him on stage, and I was like, "You're gonna rub one out to those? Is that what's gonna happen with these videos?" I don't think these videos are getting sent to anybody. I think that's—I think that's in the—in uh, the rub bank, I guess, not the spank bank. But um, it is—it is funny because she was like, "He's hot," and I was like, "That's why we're here. That is why we came. We could have listened to him in the car, but we came to see his body." Part of why you go to a concert is like, I need to see his full body in real life. How tall is he? Because we could have gone to that show and if he was 5'4", everybody would have been like, sick. All the guys would have been like, fuck yeah, I'm fucking taller than him. But then if their girlfriend was like, oh, he's hot, then you have to be like, fuck. He's short but cooler than me, you know? but it is crazy. He was so good live. He was so fucking good live. And it's so good to see a guy get to be hot. Cause he's already a good looking guy, obviously. But if you're on stage and you have a full sort of Western stage costume on and you're the star of the show, your level of, of hotness goes through the roof. Like you can be a guy that looks like me, who, like, if you saw him walk into a bar, you would be like, that's a guy. You know what I mean? You'd be like, that's a guy. But if I was a country singer, and I was on stage, and I was good at it, and I was in a costume, all of a sudden, you'd be like, his eyebrows are actually very cool. They're actually very hot. So I love it, going to those concerts, getting to see a guy just be hot. And, of course, he was doing the dances. But it's like, you realize it's so it's such a simple formula you just you got boots on and you just you put your toes up and you kind of slide on your heels and you move your knees and you get a little low sometimes with the guitar without the guitar and i'm watching him and i'm like he's doing everything right he's doing everything he needs to do and he's and he's making everyone in the fonda theater say yep he's getting dick's hard and pussy's wet he's really doing it and he's also uh more than any of that an amazing musician and a very talented live performer which fucking Thank God, because sometimes you go to shows and you're just like, Man, I'm not going to sit here and say you're bad at music, but when you play it in front of me for an hour, there's a lot of shit that goes wrong. I just had a real bad coughing fit. Listen, I'm trying to get through this podcast. I've been telling myself that I am not sick for a fucking week. I, I've i been telling other people that I'm not sick. Because in my mind, I got sick for a couple days and now I have a residual cough and maybe some sort of residual respiratory infection, which actually means that I'm sick, if that's what that means. I do this all the time. I deny being sick so much as if I work on a fucking farm or have any reason to deny. My life is so without functional purpose. I'm not trying to get depressed. I'm saying like, what jobs am I? It's so without any important jobs That when I'm sick, I should just immediately cancel everything. Just cancel all of it. My job does not matter. I don't need to be at my job. Anything like work or anything like that does not matter. If I didn't do this podcast, even the people watching right now that are nice enough to be here, you wouldn't notice. But every time I'm like, I'm not sick, I gotta be able to get out there and feed the hogs. This ain't fair to everybody else. I'm sick. Charlie Crocker would probably be tough about being sick. You know what I mean? Country writers, he's like, I'll still go on and play. He was up there. Father John Misty, too, he's another musician I saw at the Santa Barbara Bowl a couple times. It was the same thing. He was dancing on his heels. He's not a country writer, but it was the same thing where he's in a suit and he's dancing. You're looking at a guy and you're like, I'm not saying he's unattractive. He is a hot guy. But you really get to see, you know, a 7 turn into a fucking 11 when a dude's on stage playing music. I turned over my friend and I was like, man, Charlie's so cool, we should kill ourselves, you know. Especially when you do stand-up, if you look at anybody playing music, and a lot of people have said this already, but it's you feel it. When you look at anybody playing music, you're like, damn, it sucks that I'll never be as cool as this, you know. 'Cause I guess the one stand up right now that's considered to be like cool, you know, that's like kinda fucking around and dresses cool and like has a real vibe on stage would be like Dave Chappelle, you know. His whole thing is kind of cool now. He's just sort of he's almost like ambiance, but uh you know, everybody else is just up there trying to be funny. Um, you know, aggressively. Um So there's at no point it's like it's there's something about live performance like a like a play is like bottom of the barrel of cool things to do on stage. I guess under that would be like ventriloquism. But because even juggling is cooler than a play. And plays are great. I'm not saying plays are plays are amazing. They're better than watching juggling, but they're not cool. Like nobody's talked about a Broadway actor and be like he's so fucking cool, man. He's a cool. It's like, "No, he's a a beautiful man that looks like a fairy and he's a great actor, but he's not cool. he's a great guy he's not cool he loves board games he's not cool you know you gotta you gotta play opera is cooler opera might be cool i'm i'm I really don't know if opera's cool actually opera's good opera's great opera singers very talented guys but if if you're in a restaurant and you saw an opera singer. Just a humongous man just aggressively eating pasta with a with a tissue over his chest coming out of his collar tucked in, you know? And just eating at somebody, like they're talking and he's just like, you know, and somebody is like, Oh, that's a famous opera singer. You wouldn't be like, Whoa. What a cool looking guy. What a cool dude. You know what I mean? You wouldn't do that. But you're talking about current Modern day bands up there, not modern day, but you know a fucking band. I mean, that's just that is cool. And Charlie, he plays the part real well because I saw him at the Fonda Theater. But also with my cool Hollywood life, I got my stepdad who works with do uh, it. He does, you know, tra- transportation for Kimmel. I don't know why I put on an Italian accent. He's uh, Irish, anyway. Does transportation. He got me in to the show to watch it, and uh, and we. We went to Jimmy Kimmel and Charlie Crockett was playing music on Jimmy Kimmel. And so we got to meet Charlie Crockett because we're also in with Don Barris, the warm-up on Jimmy Kimmel. So really, we walked in there, me, me me and my boys, we walked in there like a bunch of fucking assholes who knew two people and got their way. That's exactly what we did. But after we saw him play live, he played a song for television, and it was very cool. And after he was done, Don took us down. To the green room, the Jimmy Kimmel green room, and he kind of barged through the door and like said hi to Charlie, and Charlie was like, "Oh, thank, thank you for coming." Thank. And then when he and then when he left, he said a very cool guy thing that if he was anybody else would have made him seem like such a fucking shit eater, but he came out and uh, and and he and he said, uh, "Thanks for slipping us in." He was a musical guest on a on a nationally, maybe internationally broadcasted talk show and he said thanks for slipping us in and it was cool and he was in a very cool western shirt on stage a big western outfit, some white wranglers on and then when he was backstage he was still dressed in a very western outfit it was just somewhat more toned down which was also very cool it's crazy to see a guy be so cool like, the best I can hope for in terms of being cool is to be known as, like, you know, talented. But I'd be, like, like if I was cool... The only person I'd maybe be cool to would be, like, a middle schooler who's cutting themselves, you know? Like, something like that, you know what I mean? Like, somebody that's, like, he's all fucking, like, he's like... He's, like, sad or whatever, but, like, he, like, makes jokes about it, you know what I mean? Like, that's probably the only people that would think that I am cool. But Charlie is cool. He's unironically cool. It seems, it's got to be great to be unironically cool, where you're like, I'm singing these songs, and it's not to be weird, and it's not to be funny. I'm up here because I think these songs are good, and I'm a talented musician, and I'm going to play them for your enjoyment. And it's like, man, that is so confident to be cool because people say that comedians are cool because it's like oh you go up there and you try and make people laugh and that's a whole thing and you know put respect on it great but there's something even scarier about like trying to make people enjoy music and think you're cool and have a good time because it's like it is better in the sense that music is naturally cooler so there's less to fight against people just naturally like music more than comedy but it's like in comedy, at least it's like there's a reaction, there's a laugh where it's like, okay, cool, this is pretty rudimentary, we know what's happening. But you need to go on stage and be like, okay, I'm gonna put on these clothes, I'm gonna have them light the stage in such a way, I'm gonna have the band dress up this way with the express intent of people being like, he looks cool. I you realize know how wrong that can go. If you really express yourself too hard and you come out in a costume and everybody's just like, look at this fucking loser. I mean, that's like if you're fucking going to write a movie about like a sad concert, it's like you'll have this upcoming band and they have all these stage theatrics and they fucking suck. You know what I mean? Like, could you imagine being Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley or anyone in Kiss if you have a bad show? Because of course they had bad shows, you know? I mean, you just fucking hope it was before they started putting on all the makeup. I mean, God, like that would fucking. You're, you know, you're at an open mic and you have like metal fucking football pads on your shoulders. You walk off and you're like, yeah, they didn't really vibe with it. I'm a 17 year old boy that spent five hours on ghoulish makeup and. Nobody liked the song about having a fun time in Detroit. There's also something about Kiss that's so confusing to me because it's like, I totally understand it's a thing where it's like, this is rock. It's like fun rock. We're dressed like this because we're fun and we're crazy. But it's like, I guess I just, you look at them and you're like, yeah, I feel like Guar did what you guys almost were supposed to do. Where it's like Kiss is I, I think I guess a better band than Guar. But Guar, you know, they they kind of stick with the costume, you know. If you don't know Guar, it's a band that they dress up in more elaborate, grosser costumes and they they say a bunch of fucked up shit. Um I don't know if they're still going. It's pretty hard for a band like Guar to still be going. Cause they were one of those bands that would be on like Mori or whatever where there would be like some like mid 40s blonde woman who's like a mother and she's part of like the parents against violent music and she'd be sitting in a chair and then one of like the guys from Guar or the whole band came out and they were all dressed in their costumes and they even have like weird voices so it's it's really weird because this woman and Mori are like so you sing songs about raping uh, kids um and and they're like, yeah, and they're like really trying to have a debate about like putting disgusting lyrics in a song. But meanwhile, the guy's like, we're from hell, and it's like, people are at home watching this, like, yeah, this is a, this is a, some public discourse. I mean, I know most people watch it because it's fucking cause it's dumb, but I do like to imagine the the Mori watcher who's like, this is like the news, this is the same as the news. I think it was. I think there was a part in the show where. A guy in the band said he would rape a child, like a 13-year-old girl. And then they were like, hey, why would you say that? And he said, well, they have to get raped sometime. And that was just on national television from a guy dressed in a costume who nobody can even think of what his name is. Like, Isn't that crazy? That, like, he they were so much more popular then. And so that guy looks back on, like, his heyday. And it's being on national TV, being like, yeah, I would uh, totally rape a 13-year-old. It's like, oh, wow, how was that when you were a kid? It's like, yeah, it was great. I went on national TV. I said that. And uh, I was dressed like a monster when I did it. And they're like, why did you do that? And it's like, so people would listen to my music. People would listen to, you know, my cool new band that I've started. My super cool fucking band, you know. It is so crazy how in the 90s it's like the horror rock or the horror metal, whatever part there, you know. Or like the horror rap. That was a thing. Like, But like, is it? Music was insane. Like, you had the Ghetto Boys who like Scarface was like the... People called him like a, a kind of like Tupac of Southern rap. And he would he would rap about like mental illness and like killing himself. And, you know, like kind of dark and talking about, you know, the effects of living in dangerous places. And then you had Willie D who was just almost, not almost exclusively, but he would just make songs about how he was not going to be a very nice boyfriend if you were to date him. He has a whole song just called I'm Not a Gentleman. And the whole song is just like, I don't hold the door open. That shit's gay. I mean, it's much better rapping. He's a great rapper. It's great lyrics. But the whole song is like, he talks about like, if we meet your parents, I'm going to like be a piece of shit to your dad. Like just shit that's like so uncalled for where like if you were in the car on the way to meet your parents and your boyfriend was like, yeah, I'm going to like call your dad a fucking pussy. You'd be like, can you not? I'd really appreciate it if when we went to my parents' house for Sunday dinner, you didn't call my dad a pussy, so he had that also a lot of his a lot of his verses were like i'll and I'll fight you, I'll fight anybody and you know, but he was great because it's like he had one line that was like uh i got I got a message for parents against rap." and he was like, I'm going to cuss my ass out for your daughters and sons, and it's great. It's just so like, I'm going to... I love making a song where you're like, I'm going to cuss, and your kids will hear me cuss, and they will cuss. You know, like, that's hilarious. And then you had Bushwick Bill, who was a little person who would talk about uh, raping, murdering, and torturing women and men alike, and that was, like, kind of his thing, and It is so funny because you don't have to do something good to be groundbreaking. A lot of the worst people in history were groundbreaking. Hitler and Stalin were absolutely groundbreaking in terms of systematically murdering a bunch of people for no other reason than being a a horrific uh, piece of shit. And Bushwick Bill was groundbreaking in rap. For being one of the first to talk about killing, raping, murdering, and torturing people. And then defending it on a court level. On a level of being in courtrooms. And being like, I think I should be saying this. I think I should be allowed to say this. Alright. Sorry brothers and sisters of the cast. Keep having to stop and start to uh, cough my brains out. But I'm not sick. But it is crazy that just like... You could do all of that shit. And then, like, those guys, even back then, they still had to start their own record labels to do it, which I love that it just shows it if you believe in yourself enough. Like, I love that every record company was probably like, yeah, you know, um, I think you guys are a cool sound. Um, you know, I could definitely see the South coming up more in hip-hop, um, It's it, but it is very New York right now. And also, you talk about killing and raping women a lot, like a lot, and there's already a bit of an issue with people saying that rap is becoming violent and bad for their kids, so we are definitely worried about the killing and raping that you include in your songs. Would you maybe be able to not, sorry, um, to, I'm a little flustered. Would you be able to not talk about the killing? And and I don't, and listen, I don't want to stop you from expressing yourselves. I never said that, and I don't want to, but is there, could we take it out of the songs? And they're like, no. And they're like, okay, um... Well, we're probably going to have to pass then. That was our main problem. Um, but that being said, if you have any interest in ever working with us or you know, continuing to work with us, um, and you are willing to not talk about killing and raping people, we would love to work with you. That offer is still on the table. Um, yeah, what was your Bushwick bill? It was great to meet you. Um But you got to believe in your artistic vision, you know, and that's how you got to do it. I don't know. I have been sick on the last three podcasts, and I think anybody listening to this is pretty aware that I am sick. You know what? Shout out in the comments if you think I should go get a Pack. Shout out out in the comments if you think I should go get antibiotics. Because maybe I'm denying that I'm sick. Shout-out. Make some shout-outs. It's too fucking cold outside. I think that's... It's just killing me. It's absolutely killing me, and I'm just outside, and I gotta... My nose gets so cold. I've turned into, like, a fucking Christmas story. Like, my nose gets fucking red. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, and I saw Jimmy Kimmel talk show recorded live. I was in the audience, and it's... I don't know why people really go to see those things live. Like, I totally do get... And I went, but I went to see the music, and then the getting to see the show was a plus. But I don't really understand beyond... Because I get the thing where, like, I want to be on a set. Most people have never been in a set like that or a whole place like they've converted the whole El Capitan theater into running Jimmy Kimmel. And it used to be a the- like you can see the remnants of it, but they've changed the entire building and filled it with stages and lights and cameras and everything. So it, I guess it's good to see the wires and shit. And that's fun. Um, and then you get to see it filmed. But the thing is, it's like what you end up watching is like Jimmy does a monologue and then he does two interviews with people. And then they have like sort of some skit segment, like some digital short that they cut away to, and then the shit's over and under an hour and so I mean it is good maybe I'm explaining why this is actually like a super fun fucking thing to do if you're in l a to be honest, yeah, because you're only there for like an hour, but I guess it just it is just funny because it's like you're watching a thing that is made purely you know you're watching t v you're you're watching something that's being made purely in the way of making a tv show like when you're there you really have no idea what the fucking show's about like when i was younger i was a big bang theory head and i will not deny it and i went to see it taped live and it was um it was cool because you get to be in the audience you get to see the set that you know so well from television but like if you ask me like what that episode was about, even two days after seeing it, I bet I wouldn't know what the fuck to tell you. Because at one point, they're on another part of the set that the audience can't see, and there's all this shit going on. So it's like, you're going to watch it, but it's like, it's not It's not even for you. It's weird, because now you're a part of the show, but like people will still not be that excited to watch it. I don't know. I don't understand it, but you know, I was having enough of it. So I got up at one point and I walked down to the stage and, you know, I went up to Jimmy Kimmel and I was like, what's up? And then he kind of started looking around at other people and he was like, who's this? And I was like, it's a me, Cooper. Um, like, what the fuck's your problem? And I started getting in his face and like, you know, I started shaking him and I wasn't sure if his suit was going to rip, but I was trying to rip it. and I was trying to like break the buttons off, and I was, like, getting physical with him, and there, like, wasn't any security, but there were, like, production assistants and, like, you know, executive producers there, but, like, they weren't big people, and I, you know, I was fighting them off, and I was, you know, fighting Jimmy, and the crowd is, like, really upset at this point, you know, and the warm-up comic is trying to, you know, keep things under wraps. People are screaming, you know, all of a sudden I notice the camera guys are pointing the cameras at me uh which I honestly like I looked back and I stopped fighting Jimmy and I was like okay can you please not at least point the cameras at me like I didn't come here to be on the show like I was trying to be completely honest with them and like forward with my responses and my truth and the way I felt but they weren't listening to me and people were fighting me off camera guys are uh, filming me he has a live band we were falling into them a little bit like kind of hit the guitarist legs but for the most part they honestly just kept playing and were super good they were a jazz band and they were playing jazz and I'm fighting Kimmel I'm fighting people off me I'm telling the cameras to stop fucking recording me and they don't stop and um I mean, like, am I grateful to my stepdad for getting us into Jimmy Kimmel, like, 100 percent? But do I also, you know, maybe have to stand my ground at some point? Because, listen, like, Jimmy was up there and he was getting, you know, laughs from the monologue. But the thing is that, like, I'm a stand-up comic, you know? And so that's what I wanted to tell him. Like, I was going to go up there and be like, hey. And I thought he'd be like, hey, what's up? And I'd be like, so, like, I'm a stand-up comic, and I fucking, I'm like, I study comedy, you know? And I thought he'd be like, holy shit, like, sometimes we have comics on the show, and, like, I'm not doing anything after the show. So, like, we could actually film you doing stand-up on the show, maybe? And I'd be like, that would be perfect. Like, I was looking to do a set today, and if I could do it on national television, I'd love to try some new stuff out. And that's what I wanted to say. But when I went up to him and I was like, hey, what's up? And he looked around and was like, who is this guy? I all of a sudden was like, oh, okay. So like you're, you know what I mean? He's like a fucking industry guy, you know, where it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, I can't like talk to you. Like, you know what I mean? He's just one of those people where it's like, okay, so you're not somebody who like when other people talk, you fucking listen. You know what I mean? And I, you know. I told him that. I told him, like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for what you do. And, you know, he got a few good licks in before the cops that are posted around the building stormed in and shot me in the back. Um, I got shot in the back. And this was only two days ago. I was in the hospital for two days. They said I had to stay for longer Because I still have a shell casing lodged in my vertebrae and that it could get infected. But I told them that I do a podcast. And so I got out and my back hurts. But, I mean, not as much as like I'm, I don't know, like my back hurts. But honestly, I'm more so just like confused at what the fuck Hollywood has become. Because people used to like, you know... Help out young artists. People used to want to be part of a movement. But when I am watching Jimmy Kimmel live and I go up to him and I say, hey, what's up? And he all of a sudden doesn't even want to look at me. I just honestly start to get like a little bit discouraged in what I'm doing and the person I'm trying to be. So I don't know. I've been reading more, which is good. I've been reading again. I've been reading The Grapes of Wrath which is um, people think you're an asshole if you do that. If you read like a very famous book, that's like, especially if it's taught in school or in college, people think you're like a fucking idiot. It's the only time when reading actually makes you look dumber because people will be like, I'll be like, yeah, I'm reading, like, what are you reading? I'm like, I'm reading The Grapes of Wrath right now. And then people's first thought is like, did you just think of book and then go buy The Grapes of Wrath? Like, is that why you're reading The Grapes of Wrath right now? Because, like, it's not, like, casual, it's not like, you know, most regular people are not reading, like, proletariat, like, Depression-era literature, even though it's such a famous book, it's not like it's not like a regular thing, which is, I know it sounds like I'm saying that The Grapes of Wrath isn't popular, but I'm saying if you tell another adult that you are reading The Grapes of Wrath, they always smile and just look at you for a sec, and they're like, mm-hmm. Grapes, yeah. You're, real. You're a real scholar now? Is that what that is? You're an American scholar? Are you gonna start talking about the fucking plains and the and the plight of of migrant migrant farmers? Is that what you're gonna do? And yeah, you know what? Maybe I am because it's very interesting to me. I took a proletariat literature class, and if you don't know what that is, it's uh, American proletariat literature class, which just means around the Depression, a lot of different writers started writing books to talk about what it's like to be fucking poor Um, and white. It's 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 uh, it's it's white literature, you know, so it's pretty like like I'm reading Grapes of Wrath and they're going across the country and there's never a scene where it's like we got into one town and it felt like everybody was going to kill us like. They there are moments of that, though, which is funny. That must have been so surprising for those white people because there there are so many at that time and they talk about it in the book, which although, you know, it's not a a true account of real people, but it is accurate to the time. That must have been so weird to be a white person in Oklahoma and you're going across the country and you pass through a town and then all of a sudden there's an armed brigade of civilians and they're like, get out of our town. Because there are so many of those people coming through looking for work. They're flooded and... You know, they say in the book, you 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 don't stand a chance against a debtless man. You know, because he's just there's nothing to pay off. Like a guy, he's saying the guys that own the shops and shit and and have stuff, they also have debt. They have almost the privilege of having debt, so they demand higher wages to try and keep up this life that they now live with houses and whatever. But a guy with no debt. Because he has nothing. It's like, yeah, any amount of money. I don't need to take that $12 and equate it to how much shit I can pay off. I take that $12 and I'm like, cool, fucking $12. This rips. It's so good to have $12. So they were hated in all these fucking communities because they would come in and work for less. Um, But good thing that doesn't happen anymore with anybody else. Good thing that that never has happened again since this happened. Mexicans. Okay. Um, It must have been so funny, though. They're just white people coming from Oklahoma where nobody bats an eye at them, and then they come into a town, and they're like, get the fuck out of there. And then they're like, why? And they're like, because you're poor, of course. Because that's the actual dividing line between people in societies and people of all walks of life. Enforce those rules of oh, there's a fucking poorper. Get the fuck out. It's a good book. It's a good book. I like reading it. I like. I like the American proletariat literature. It's good because all they do is go through an account of a bunch of fucking hicks trying to find jobs after they got fucked over by a guy with a tractor. I mean that's like that's, that's like the first 20 pages of Grapes of Wrath are just pe- different people in the book just talking about like yeah everything was good and then uh companies came with tractors and uh we pretty much didn't stand a chance for even a moment like that's all it took like these people had been on that land for a while which the, their ancestors stole from from people Let's be clear. But it was funny because they're just on that land for a while. And they're like, cool, this is our land. We conquered the country. And then all of a sudden, there's like, I have more con- I have more uh, money. And so this is almost a new country that I'm creating that you live in but are not a part of. Um, so anyway, get the fuck out. Uh, there's a lot of good books. There's just a bunch of people getting dicked around for an entire book. There's a book To Make My Bread, which is just people who live in the Appalachian Mountains. And they're like, cool, pretty cool. And then there's a guy that comes by and he's like, We'll buy your house if you want. We're gonna we're we're gonna start doing lumber shit. Uh we we're gonna buy our house, but uh you can still live in it. And they're like, Great. And then they do that, and then they're in the house, and then a guy comes by and he's like, You gotta pay to live here. And they're like, What? This is my house and they're like, No, it's not, it's our house. You sold it to us. You f- Fucking idiot. And then they're like, I can't pay. And they're like, then get the fuck out. And it's these people that had a small community. They had a good life. They would do the thing at dances, you know, where all the girls would sit on one side of the room and all the fellas would sit on another. And then they'd get up and they would charge them like a revolutionary battalion and they go up to a lady and they'd be like, can I dance with you? And then she'd be like, yeah. Or she'd be like, no. And that would like uh, ruin the rest of your fucking life. You know what I mean? Then when you were 14, you go up and you try and dance with a girl and she says, no, and that's your life. And that's it. And, and then, and then maybe you go up to a girl that nobody fucking likes that sucks. And you're like, Hey, and she's like, ah, fuck. I knew this was going to happen. I knew I sucked, and we all know you suck, and I knew it was going to be me and you, and you're sitting there, and you're both 14, and you're like, all right, I guess I'll dance with you, which is the same as being like, all right, I guess I'll get married to you in two weeks because nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming here. Nobody's moving in. This is it. This was the moment of my life. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's moving away. If nobody else that is that is around me right now likes me, I either have to marry a person who sucks or marry my friend's daughter when I'm like 55. And I guess there were a lot of guys back then that are just like, I'm going to play the long game in the Appalachian Mountains. But that might disrupt the community. You know what I mean? So it's like there's all these... They had a life, though. I I did choose to make it very dark, but they had a life. They had a community. They had a church. They had friends. They did have a place to sleep, and times were tough. They had to hunt for their food, and the winters were hard, and they didn't have a lot of money to pay for stuff, and it was rough. But they got kicked out of their houses, and then they're like, all right, we're going to go to the city. You can work in a factory, and they give you a house. And so we'll make money, and we'll have a house. And then we'll save up money, and then we'll become doctors and lawyers, and we will have a bunch of money. And then they go to work for the factory, and the factory's like, here's your house. And then they're working at the factory, and then the factory's like, all right, rent's due for the house. And they're like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden, most of their rent money goes back to the factory because you wouldn't believe it, but the factory sort of made the rent so high that they pretty much didn't have anything left of their paycheck, but also there's really nowhere else for these people to go besides living in a Hooverville or something like that. So all of a sudden they're like, oh, so we're just working all day just to keep living here, and we're not able to save a fucking dime. This is probably not going to work out. But at that point they're like, well, we can't go back home and we're here so I guess everything is just fucked. And then it gets to the end of the book and they uh, they start uh, protesting the factory and they end up with a fucking riot and people get killed because that is like the end of all of these plays and books is it's just, there's no really artistic part of it. It just goes through the whole book of everything being shitty as fuck for these people just step by step of how fucking shitty it is. And then they get to the book, and then one guy's like, hey, what the fuck, man? And then they always have a guy explain how fucked up it is to live in the sort of industrial America in like the most simplest, dumb way possible, which I fucking love. Because it's always just, there's always a couple of them throughout the book. There's always some guy on the side of the road when they're going, or there's some guy who's already in the town that they're going to find work in. There's always some guy, and he's like, you ever notice that a fella says he's got a place for you to stay? And so you sleep there, and all of a sudden he says that you owe him for sleeping there. And so now you got to work, and you're working just to sleep there. And all the while, you're sitting and wondering why you couldn't just sleep there in the first place when he told you he had a bed. It starts to seem like fellas are lying to you, trying to pull one over and, you know, take advantage of your own goodwill, knowing that you'd give him a place to sleep if he needed it. There's always that, and then there's some guy that's like, yeah, man, what the fuck? And then he, like, fucking punches a cop. Uh, you know and then he's getting dragged away and then he gives in many of these books he this guy will give a impassioned speech about like the workers in America need to revolt and rise up and stop giving into this fucking machine that's killing us and turning us against each other which is very fun because the whole book before that is just the same guy walking around being like man I want to get some fucking beer, but we gotta we gotta get to the factory. We need to get some bread for Ma. And then by the end of the book, he's like, "I'm gonna kill a cop. I'm gonna, you know what? I think I'm gonna kill a fucking cop." And it's always a good it's always a good little story about it. it's like yeah, you take a dude and then you fuck him over fifteen fucking times, and eventually he's gonna be like, "All right, um, I think it's time to uh do some yelling in a group of people." And uh, if anybody tries to stop us, get pretty physical with them. You know what I mean? And that rips. And I mean, these plays and these books did fucking rock. I mentioned the plays. There's one play that I'm trying to remember. I think it's by, uh, well, no, that's a book. Johnny Got His Gun is by Dalton Trumbo, I believe, Um, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But there's a play where it's pretty much the play is a union meeting. And so... They involve the audience by acting like the stage, the guys on stage are running the union meeting and the audience is a bunch of union workers. And it ends with people planted in the audience standing up and being like, this is bullshit. You're fucking, we got to do something about this. This is fucking, we got to elect a new leader of the union and fuck some shit up. And they would get people in the audience to get all fucking pissed and rise up. And a couple of times, it started with them going out into the street, which makes you feel good, you know, that this was a while ago and the human spirits changed a lot. But, you know, at the very least back then, which relatively is not that far, a bunch of people were like, you know what? Yeah. They watched a play and then were like, you know what? Let's go fuck somebody up. And if you want to talk about art changing the world, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest effects that artists had on the world. If you really want to talk about, like, direct fucking action... to show people a play... and if at the end of that play they're like... we're gonna go out in the streets... and we're gonna just beat the fuck out of all the people we're mad at. Like... I don't know. I mean, you have, you know, you have all that shit in the 80s... where Michael Jackson and a bunch of people are singing about AIDS... and they raise some money. But if you want to talk about art really doing something... if people are getting punched in the face because they watched a play... That is some good art, you know? I like the proletary literature. It doesn't hold back. It just It's just very, you know, aggressive. Like, D- Johnny Got His Gun by Dalton Trumbo is a book about a guy who goes to war, and then he gets blown up. He lives, but he he, he fucking steps on him, some shit. I don't know if it's a mine or some shit happens to him. And then he wakes up, and he's in the hospital, he doesn't know where he is because he can't see, and he can't hear, and he I don't even think he can smell, and then all of a sudden he realizes he can't really feel anything, and through the course of several pages, they show him discovering that he has just massacred his face. He can't see, he can't hear, his nose is all fucked up, his mouth is all fucked up, his whole thing is bandaged over. He also has no arms and no legs. And that's the opening of the book. Just a guy with no arms and no legs because he went to war. And then throughout the book, he's dealing with this and he's like, holy shit, you know, I went to fucking war. And then he realizes, he's like, they don't know who the fuck I am. Because all this shit got blown off and they lost his dog tag. And the whole time, he's just like, they have no idea who I am right now, and I my parents think I'm dead, and I have no way of fucking communicating with them. I am going to die here. And then he starts figuring out this way. This is all fake, by the way. This story's completely fucking fake, which is... I'm sure a lot of people who think what I'm talking about is dumb are like, yeah, this is why this sucks, idiot. This is made up. You're not going to fucking survive in World War II if you get all your shit blown off. Probably not. You're right. But he's discovering that he can find a way to talk, which is like, I don't know, some sort of tapping method or some. he kind of can wiggle or some shit like that. And he ends up working with a nurse who at one point jerks him off. She jerks him off, and he he's, like, into it, but he's not loving it. Like, it's very weird he gets jerked off, which is very nice of her. I understand, you know, her. To, it would be so funny because the jerk-off makes sense for a nurse to do, to be like, this guy's life is over. I'm going to make him come to be nice. The jerk-off makes sense. It's almost like – it almost seems like a medical procedure. It would be so funny if she sucked his dick If just if for the rest of her life. She's like, I sucked a guy's dick – who had no arms or no legs and could not see, speak, or hear. Um, And everybody would be like, that's illegal. And he'd be like, no, I think it was good for him. And they'd be like, how the fuck do you know? She's like, I can talk to him with taps. And they're like, no, you can't, you fucking rape. But he figures out he can talk, and the nurse can kind of translate it to the people around because she figures out how he talks. And he ends up telling a general, he's like, my name is this. I'm a soldier. I was a private for class. My parents are this. Please tell them I'm alive. Um, And then there's like this conversation that happens through the nurse where the general is pretty much like, nah, we're not going to send you back to your parents like this. That's not going to look good. You're going to die here is essentially what's happening. And he realizes this. He's like, they're just going to let me die. They are just going to let me die. And uh, he, it ends with him talking to himself where he's like, I'm just going to keep tapping away. Because he's doing something where he can kind of make a sound. So he's like, I'm just going to keep doing this so these fuckers know that I am not a dead body. Because they want to treat him just like he's a dead body. He's like, but I am a living, breathing person that you have fucked up with your own callousness and greed. And I will keep tapping until the day I fucking die which i mean would work on me at least if i was a piece of shit trying to deny a man's existence but then you go in and the guy with no arms and no legs is like <laughs> i'd be like fuck dude dude i'd be talking to you know the other nurses and i'd be like dude he's like so much a person it's like so not cool that we're doing this it's like so not cool that this guy is like a schrodinger's cat of being alive and dead like, existing to nobody but us, and we're almost, like, in our own realm, you know, because he's never going to get out of this building. That would really fuck me up, you know. But those books, they get me fired up, because they're, you know, pretty easy reading. You just kind of go through it, you know, it's all functional. Except Grape, Grapes of Wrath, he likes to... He's... he's Steinbeck is, is, you know, he's going a little crazy in there, you know. He'll have a couple of chapters that's just sort of poetic about it. But I do know how the book ends, which is, like, there's a big fucking... There's a big fucking revolution. Somebody gets fucked up and dies. Um, also, their grandpa, because there's a whole family moving across the country. The grandpa at one point sucks a woman's titty for milk uh, because he hasn't had any food or nutrition. Um, so that's also in the book. I think Steinbeck. I feel like the other proletarian literature writers were like, "Hey man, maybe just keep it to like the whole uh, kind of anti-capitalist thing we're doing." And he's like, it's a metaphor. And they're like, it's weird and it makes us look weird. And it would be good if you didn't just, you know, I don't know. Just maybe think about like having a guy suck a titty in the, you know, for milk, how that might look. And he's like, I really don't know what you guys mean. And they're like, what? when did you stop breastfeeding your mom? Just from your mom, by the way. And he's like, fucking nine years old, like everybody. And they're like, all right. Uh, yeah, John Steinbeck is a fucking weirdo. Which is funny, because John Seinbeck, I think, included, and a lot of these proletarian literature writers were not working-class people. They were people that were able to go to college and make careers out of writers, so they had money. But they were writing to try and kind of spread awareness of the struggles of, of most people in the country. But they were, like, rich, which is so funny to be a guy not from a certain social class, but writing about that social class and being like, yeah, and then one of them, one of them, who's a fucking old man, sucks a lady's titty. And all the working class people are like, yo, dude, that is so we have. That's not something people do. not something people do. What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Why the fuck would you say that? Dude, who do I know that's sucking titty? Who, what union pipe fitter is fucking sucking titties, right? And what the fuck, man? That's so not cool for you to say. That's insane that you would say. It's honestly, now that I, I'm stepping back from it, that's insane. You're an asshole, you know. But, you know, hey, grapes of wrath. Um, I'm really sorry that there's a lot of stopping and starting in this episode. This is sort of a strung-together episode of me trying to get through uh, terrible coughing fits. But uh, if you stayed this long, I really appreciate it. And I love you so much.